Man, isn't it good to just lean into the heart of God together? Uh, I feel that this morning. I hope you do. Do you, know that, do you know that Jesus loves you this morning? Do you know that God's presence is with you this morning? That uh, as we gather around his word this morning, that he has something for you this morning? I believe that. I, just, I, I have this sense that what we're, what we're doing as we sing and as we gather around the word this morning, this is church. This is what followers of Jesus have been doing for centuries, for millennia. This is what we do. We gather around to lean into the heart of God, to give him glory and praise for everything he has done and is doing and will do. And we open up his word and we say, God, show us something, teach us something, and change us in some way. And we get to do that this morning. I'm really excited about it. My name is Ben. If you don't know who I am, I get to share the word this morning. And uh, if you've been around Eastridge the last few weeks, you know that we've been in this series on parables. Uh, we'll do one this week and one next week, and that will close our series on parables. And uh, parables, what do we mean by parables? We're talking specifically about the parables of Jesus which are stories that he would tell, but they were stories with a purpose. They were, they were metaphors for something, life in the kingdom of God, for how God interacts with us, for something. And we're sort of taking some of these that maybe we've heard before, maybe we've never heard before, or maybe we've heard a thousand times and we think we understand them, and we're just picking them apart and trying to breathe some life into them and see, God, what is it you really want us to get from this parable? And uh, last week we talked about what it means to be lost and to have God pursue us, seek us, find us, and restore us to the family of God. And, uh, and I, I hope that if you weren't here last week that you uh, have or will go online and listen to that because that's sort of the foundation, that's the backbone of, of step one of our life with the Lord. And today we're going to talk about the next step, something that builds on last week. So today is really for those who have already decided to put their trust and security and hope in Jesus. Um, and, but if, if you haven't made that decision yet, if you're here and you're not sure if you trust Jesus or if you believe, and that's, uh, that's okay too. I think today's message is also for you, but in a special way, it's for those who have already committed their life to Jesus. This is sort of another step in our journey with him. And today we're going to talk about a parable in Matthew chapter 25. You can open there if you have a Bible. Matthew chapter 25, and uh, we're going to talk about a parable that, uh, you know, last week's, last week's parable uh, was, was uh, super encouraging, right? We are lost sometimes in our lives. We find ourselves lost. God pursues us. He seeks us. He finds us. He restores us to the family of God. This week's parable goes, goes down not quite so easy. It doesn't, it doesn't quite, it's, it's a little harder pill to swallow. And, uh, but I think there's something really, there's many really uh, powerful and profound truths that we're going to try to mine out of it. So Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells this story that's famously called the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold. The talent was just a measure of gold. And so uh, it's a story that he wants to tell about, about uh, how people are handling some resources that they're given. Um, but I think it's about more than that. In fact, as I was preparing for this weekend, I have been thinking about, uh, there's this phrase from a famous American poet, Mary Oliver. She writes this phrase that maybe you've seen uh, around, in it's very popular uh, quote. It says, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. I mean, maybe you see that embroidered on pillows or on mugs and journals, and I, I don't know. I've seen it everywhere, and, and it, it feels like something that should be on Pinterest. I don't know. It's just like, what do you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? My little morning inspiration as I drink my coffee. But, you know, I, I wonder what happens if we really let God ask us this question. I wonder what happens if we really let him go, hey, what is it you're planning to do with the life I've given you? 
What is it you are doing? What are you pursuing? What are you investing in? Where's your time, money, energy, resources, relationships? Where are they all going? What are you investing in? What is it you're planning to do with your one wild and precious life? And as I began to ask myself this question, and it was rattling around in my brain this week, and I started asking this question of myself, uh, I found it very convicting. That God has given me a life. He's given each of us a life, right? No matter how old or young you are, or established or not established, whether you're married or not, I don't know. Wherever you're at, God has given you a life. What are you investing that life in? And Jesus tells us a story that, that has some really uh, profound kind of in-your-face truths about what it means to invest our life well. So this is Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. This is Jesus speaking again. He says, it will be like a man going on a journey. That it he's referring to is referring to the other parables that surround this one. The other parables that surround this one are talking about when Jesus returns in fullness and power as king and his people come before him and they say, God, this is what we have done with our time, with our life. This is what we have pursued with everything we are. And so, so that's what he's referring to when he says it. So he says, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants together and entrusted them with wealth. To one he gave five bags of gold, to the other two bags, to another one bag, each according to his own ability, and then he went on his journey. So he's saying that kind of God's interaction with us in this life is sort of like a master who calls his servants together and trusts them with something and then leaves. That, that, that this, this master has put something in the care of the servants. Have you ever thought about it this way? That, that your life... Every element of your life, everything you own, everything you do, every job you have, every relationship you build, your home, your talents, everything about your life, every element of your life has been entrusted to you. Have you ever thought about it that way? So often we think of our lives as, as a random uh, collection of accidents, right? Like this is just where I was born and what I do, right? This is who I am and this is where I'm, this is where I'm going. And we don't really put much intention or thought into it. What Jesus is saying is that God has put thought and intention to it. He said, to this I will give this, this person I will give this, this person I will give this, this person I will give this. We have different lives that have all been entrusted to us by our creator God. And have you ever thought about it this way too? Far from being uh, an accident or a collection of random events, and far from being something that you have created on your own, we can think that too, can't we? Right? I have this job and this home and this everything because I earned it. And far from it being that, it is actually something that God has entrusted to you, which means that he has trusted it to you. Have you ever thought about it this way, that your home, you have your home because God trusts you to use it well? Your job, you have that job because God trusts you to use it well. He has placed his trust. You have your family and your relationships because God has trusted you to use them well. Have you ever thought about that? God is trusting you with the elements of your life. So this master goes on a journey. He entrusts his wealth to these servants. And then verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once, went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. And so what it says is, God, in, or this, the master entrusts these servants with something, with his wealth, right? And then they go and they invest it, 
They go and start making it work, and they earn more back. It, it, it starts to produce fruit, produce a harvest, right? They, they invest, and it, and it creates more. And notice that it says they do it at once. They get up, and they just go. They don't sit around pondering, waiting for the right time, you know. As soon as, okay, okay, he gave me this money, but I've got other things I'm focusing on first, right? They do it at once. When they get a call, they go. They just do it. They invest. So often, I think, in my life, I can think like, well, after this happens, after I pay off my college debt, then I'll start doing what God wants me to do. After I get married, I'll, I'll, then I'll start doing what God wants me to do, but I've got to focus on this first. After I finish my education, I'll start doing what God wants me to do. First, I've got to do this other thing. But at once, they go and they invest, and they earn more back. And you know, I, I really just want to say, I don't think this is about money. I think it's partly about money, but here's why I think Jesus tells this story using bags of gold as the metaphor. Because he knows that where our heart is, our money follows. Where our heart is, our money follows. You want to know what you value most and what you're investing your life in? Look at your bank account. Or in our modern, in our, in our 21st century American world, you know, uh, one, our, one of our hot commodities is money, but our other hot commodity is time. Do you want to know where you, where, what you value and what you're pursuing, what you're investing your life in? Look at your schedule. Honestly, I, I did this this week. I was like, okay, I want to find out where I'm investing. What I'm invest and I looked at, I just kind of tracked a couple of days. What did I spend time on? And then where did my money go? And I, 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 what, what I do for a living is I run a summer camp. And so while I was there, while I'm there, it's kind of, my life is kind of different. But I, I, I chose a weekend when I wasn't working. What, what did I do with my time? Where did my money go? Um, Y'all, it was a little sad. <laughs> it was a little sad. I was like, how many hours did I spend watching Netflix? right? And I was like, I spent money on what? I couldn't believe it. I was like, where, was there anything lasting and of, of, and of value that I spent time or money on? And there were, there were a few things, but sometimes I think when we go, well, what, what is it you're going to do with your one wild and precious life? We sort of go, well, I don't know. I just sort of, I don't know. I'm just sort of going with the flow. I, I bought some coffee yesterday. Is that what you mean? Right? I bought this really nice new car. Is that what you mean? What am I doing with my life? Well, I, there's this great Netflix show that I just really got into, right? And sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, that can be our answer. I think Jesus uses money because as he says in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6 of Matthew, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think what he's saying is we're talking about money because you value it, but it's really about all your life, your whole heart. He's not concerned about necessarily what your bank account is doing. He's concerned about what your heart is doing. And so these people, when they are entrusted with this money, these servants, they go at once and they invest and they work and they put the money to work and they're like, the, the master didn't give me this just for my own use. He gave me this to put it to use. So I'm going to put it to use. I'm going to earn more and I'm going to give it back to him. And then verse 18, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And we can go, oh, what a silly guy, right? We can sort of go, he knew that wasn't what he was supposed to do. But what we're going to find out is that you and I have tendencies to do the same thing. Verse 19, so after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Settled accounts with them. One day, God will say, okay, I've given you life. I've given you relationships, a career, money, resources. What did you do with it? 
He will settle accounts with you one day because what, he's, what we're being reminded of here is that what we have, every element of our, of our life is entrusted to us. It doesn't belong to us. It is the master's money. It is the master's resources. And at the end, we will be called to give it back. To say, yes, you gave this to me. Yes, you entrusted it to me. Yes, I was trying to be a good steward of it. Here it is back because it belonged to you the whole time. These servants, these two that invested their money, they did not forget that this money was not theirs. And it was their job to steward it well. And so he settles accounts with them. Verse 20, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. I love that he says, you have entrusted me with five bags of gold. Do you, do you almost sense the, the honor in that? He's like, wow, you honored me with so much. And I, I've, I've tried to invest it, and I've got, I've got more for you. And notice he doesn't go, okay, I invested the money, and I earned five bags of gold, so those five are mine, and then these five are back to you. I've paid you back. He doesn't say that. He says, no, you, it was all yours to begin with. You entrusted me with it, and I put it to work. And so here it's all back, all sliding across the table back to the master. And what does the master say? Verse 21, his master replied, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share in your master's happiness. Imagine hearing those words from the mouth of God. Well done, good and faithful servant. You did well. You did well. And you know, we can hear that from God at the end when we meet him face to face and Jesus comes in fullness and power. We can also hear that from God along the way. You're doing well. You're doing what comes. Share in your master's happiness. I love that. Share in your master's happiness. Did you know that God is after your joy? The lie of sin and of Satan is that God is out to steal our joy. False. God is out for your joy. He wants to increase your joy. His joy is overflowing. The book of John chapter 15 says his joy is complete. And he wants your joy to be complete. He wants you to share in the master's happiness. Can you imagine God, the creator of joy, the source of all of it, saying, I want you to come partake in this fountain of joy that I have. He is after your joy. And so he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You did exactly what I wanted you to do. Share in my happiness. I want to share it with you. And then the man with two bags, verse 22, of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. This is interesting. The man with five bags of gold who earns five more and the man with two bags of gold that earns two more have the same response from the master. You would almost expect him to be like, well, you didn't quite do as well as the other guy, but you did pretty good. You can have a little happiness. No, what does he say? He says the exact same thing. God is not concerned about how much you have, whether talent, resources, time, relationships, family. He's not concerned about how much you have. He's not even concerned about how much you gain, even your spiritual gains. He's not at the end of time going, well, that guy saved 30 souls, and that guy only saved five souls. He's, not, he's concerned about your faithfulness. What does he say? Well done, good and 
faithful servant. God just wants you to be faithful. Why? Because that's the way to joy. Because that's the way to share in your master's happiness. He's concerned about your faithfulness. So even if you get to the end of your life and you find out, you know, I didn't actually gain all that much. I, I mean, I tried to share the gospel, but no one really ever took the bait. You know, I, I tried to bless people, but it seemed like every time I tried to bless people, something just fell through and they had to end up taking care of me. You know, I tried really hard to work for the Lord. I wanted to go on a, uh, into the mission field, but I, was, I had this besetting illness that I just couldn't, I couldn't, the medicine wasn't working and I, I couldn't actually leave. I couldn't do what I thought he wanted me to do. I don't have much to show. God's not concerned about how much you have to show him. He's concerned about your faithfulness. Are you being faithful with what you have? Because that's the way to share in your master's happiness. Verse 24, and then the man who, who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you, did, where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground and see here, here, here is what belongs to you. So this man says, hey, I, knew, I, knew, I know what you're like. <laughs> I know you're a hard taskmaster. I know what you're like. And so because of that, I was afraid. I didn't want to get in trouble. I'm just, whoo, did not want to get in trouble. Did not want that wrath. And so what I did with what you gave me is I just buried it in the ground and we're going to keep it safe. We're just going to, I'm not going to do, we're not going to do anything bad with it. We're not going to do anything good with it. We're just going to keep it safe. And then when it's time, you can have it back. This servant had in his mind that this master would prefer that he keep his money safe than that he actually goes and tries to invest it and do something with it. This, this, this servant had an idea of his master as a, as a hard man, right? Hard line. Just he, he, this, is, this is, you know, you've got to do this, you can't do this, and if you do this, then I'm just going to smack you. Look what happens. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. I told you, this one doesn't go down as easy. You wicked and lazy servant. So you know that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then... You should have put the money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. The master is not pleased. The master has received back what he gave him, but he is not pleased. And these, this seems kind of harsh, right? When Jesus talks like this, we're, always, we're kind of like, ooh, Jesus, I don't like that. Tell me more about the lost sheep and the shepherd. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like uncomfortable. He doesn't do it very often, but when he does, it's a little scary and a little bit like, I don't like that part but it gets worse. <laughs> Verse 28, let's just finish the parable. So take his bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have even what they do have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yikes. He says, take away what he had. Because the one who has will be given more. And the one who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away. That seems so brutal, so harsh. All he did was keep it safe. Why is it such a big deal? And I really wrestled with this this week. I started thinking through what is going on here? What is Jesus trying to say? And I really focused on this, this phrase that says, the one who to the one who has, more will be given, and the one who doesn't have, even what he does have, will be taken away. 
I thought about the, the one who has. Okay, the one who has what? And the one who doesn't have. Okay, the one who doesn't have what? Money, bags of gold? Well, no, because it wasn't their money and bags of gold anyway. It was the master's. The one who has what? The one who doesn't have what? You know what I think is going on? I think that servant with the one bag who just hit it in the ground, I think his actions are actually betraying a total deficit and lack of faith. He didn't trust. He didn't believe the master really wanted him to do this. He, he, he didn't believe that if he was going to invest the money, that the master would be helping him out, would be right there helping him out and be pleased and cheering him on. He didn't believe He didn't trust. He thought that he was responsible for the outcomes. And what did he think about his master? He's a hard man. He's going to get mad. All I got to do is make sure I don't make him mad. Sometimes in my Christian life, I have spent my life of faith trying everything I can just to avoid getting in trouble by God. And I just, I'm not doing anything bad, but I'm also not doing anything good. Because I have misunderstood, this servant misunderstood what kind of man his master was. He said, you're a hard man. You're a a hard taskmaster. You're an angry person. I know that you're going to be out for retribution if I fail. He did not understand. And so the master, yeah, proved himself to be that to this servant. See, God sometimes proves himself to be what we think he is. Sometimes if we believe that God is this this hard taskmaster, then everything we see, everything we see around us is, see, I knew it. See, I knew it. But if we have a right picture of God, this is why we started with that lost and found parable last week. If we have a right picture of God, if we really see him as the father who ran to meet us when we just, all we did was turn around, ran to meet us, to cover us so that we don't have to bear the shame and to bring us back into the family and to celebrate our return and celebrate his lavish love. If we really believe that God is like that, then we are free from the fear of his wrath and retribution. And we discover that far from being a hard taskmaster all along, God has been out for our joy. All along, he has been a God of grace and mercy. So often, how we color our thoughts about God can get in the way. But this, this servant thought that God was one kind of thing, thought that the master was one kind of thing. So what does it say in verse 25? It said, so I was afraid. This servant acted out of fear. Sometimes I think we can get stuck in acting out of fear. If I put one toe out of line, what's God going to do? We can get stuck in acting out of fear. And, and you might, if you've read the Bible before, you might be like, but fear of the Lord, that's a good thing, right? The Proverbs tell us that the beginning of all wisdom is fear of the Lord. But I think this is a different kind of fear, right? First John says perfect love casts out fear. We're not meant to, Jesus tells his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. It's in John 14. Do not be afraid, Jesus says over and over and over and over. This kind of fear that this servant had was fear that the master was going to be mad and he was going to be vengeful and was going to take retribution rather than the healthy fear that we actually saw in the first servant, the one with five bags of gold. Master, you have entrusted me with five bags of gold. Wow. You trust me that much? You trust me enough to pour your spirit into me, God, and to put me in a world that needs you? You trust me to bring your message forward and and your mission and your kingdom in this world? You trust me with that? You trust me with this family, with this job, 
with this house, with this, these resources? You trust me with all of this? What, how, I'm ready to go out and invest it immediately. At once, I want to go out and invest it. That's a healthy fear of the Lord. Because see, this servant didn't understand because it hadn't happened yet. But like so many of Jesus' parables, they take on a new meaning on this side of the cross. A new meaning on this side of the cross. What this servant didn't understand is that God is not vengeful. That we don't have to be sitting around going, I just can't do anything bad, can't do anything bad. I've got to avoid the wrath of God. And we hunker down. We hunker down sometimes inside of our homes. We gather our possessions and our families and close the garage door and set the alarm and just go, just hang on. Or sometimes we hunker down in a job. If I can just keep doing this and keep earning that much money, then I'm going to be set for retirement. It's going to be okay. Just hang on. Sometimes we hunker down inside our religion. If I can just keep saying the right prayers and keep going to church and showing up and not do anything terrible, or at least if I do, hide it. Because if I put one toe out of line, God's going to be mad. So I'm not going to do anything bad, but I'm also not going to do anything good. And I'm so afraid that the wrath of God is going to come just, just, just strike me down, that I hunker down and don't do anything. But what we're forgetting is that Jesus took the wrath of God on the cross. And after the cross, well, this parable has a whole new meaning. And suddenly this parable isn't just about, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing with your resources? This parable is about, that's not who God is. We are free to invest our lives. We are free to invest our resources. We are free to risk and fail on behalf of the kingdom of God. Why? Because Jesus has taken the wrath of God and drank the cup all the way to the bottom on the cross. We don't need to hunker down. We don't need to just keep ourselves safe and our little religion safe. For the, we have to. We have to step out in faith. Jesus shows this master being angry at this servant because this servant had no faith. Didn't believe his master, didn't trust his master to know what was best. He tried to play God. He tried to be responsible for outcomes. And so he was afraid. Y'all, if you're trying to control outcomes in your life, if you're trying to play it safe, you will live your life afraid. You know what the antidote for fear is? The, the antidote for fear is, is actually risk. Did you know this? To step out in faith and risk something. To say, ah, there's this person at my work and I've been wanting to tell them about Jesus, but I just don't have the words, but I'm going to risk it. To say, you know, uh, there's this person in my life and, and I, just, I, I just really feel like uh, I, I want to reach out to them and I want to I start a relationship with them, but I just I don't know the words. I don't, I don't know how to do it. You know, my, my kids, I, I just see them walking away from the Lord in small ways, and I just want to have a conversation with them and show them what God is really like, but I don't know if I God, I better not risk it. The antidote for fear is actually to risk. And so when Jesus says, throw, in verse 30, when, he, when the master is speaking, and the master says, throw out this worthless servant into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, he's saying the same thing he says in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, if salt has lost his saltiness, what good is it? It's not useful for anything. Just throw it out. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus has not saved you, sought you, saved you, brought you back into the family of God. He hasn't done that just so you can hunker down and sit there. He's done that so you can be salt and light in a world that desperately needs him. And y'all, you don't have to be afraid. Everything, did you know this? Everything about that Jesus does, everything that Jesus does is about freedom. You, don't have, you can be free from fear. 
Free, free from shame. Who, it doesn't matter if you fail. If you're trying and pursuing the kingdom and you want to work for the Lord, who cares if you fail? If you're trying to pursue the, what the Lord wants in your life and you end up doing the wrong thing on accident, it's okay. The wrath of God has been taken. You don't have to be afraid. You are free to risk to invest your life, and I mean every element of your life. Every element of your life. Did you know that, um, I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to share this now. Uh, uh, do you guys, I don't have a time limit on second service, so. Uh, Deut- Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's a famous passage that says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Jesus quotes it, he calls it the number one commandment. If you look at the original text of that, the Hebrew text, it is grammatically incorrect. And if we were to translate what the Hebrew actually says into English, it would say, love the Lord your God with all your very much heart, with all your very much soul, with all your very much mind, with all your very much strength. It's kind of weird, doesn't make grammatical sense. I think that's because the writer of Deuteronomy is trying to express to us, not just love him a little bit with your heart, love him a little bit with your life. He's trying to express to us every little bit of all of us. Love him with every single iota of your life. Love him. And and in the Bible, love isn't used as a feeling. Love is used as an action. Love him. Pursue him. Serve him with with all your very much. With all your very much wealth. With all your very much relationships. Every little tiny aspect. The little bits that you keep for yourself. And like, this is for me, God. You can take the rest of it. Love him with all of it. Totally take the hands off your life. And just let him use it. That is what faith in God looks like. And the master is angry with this servant because he just didn't have that faith. Because if you've really been sought found, saved, and restored to the family of God, by God, through no action of your own, then you know he can handle your life. And step one is to come home. Step two is to just take the hands off your life. See, sometimes I think that in our lives, um, you know, we just, I just don't want to do anything wrong. That's a, that's a, that's, is that a good thing to want? Absolutely. It's not that that dream is bad. It's that it's just way too small. It's not that it's bad, it's just not good enough. You know, this, uh, in, in my 20s, I'm 30 now, I can say in my 20s. In my 20s, uh, I, I had spent almost my whole life, since I was a little kid, wanting to be on the stage. Not like a preacher stage, but like theater on the stage. And I, got, I caught the bug when I was little, and I pursued it all through high school, and I went to school for music and theater, and, and I, got, I was the kid who would like come home from school, this is true, put my backpack in the house, go in the backyard, and put on plays by myself for nobody. I, I used to get in trouble for singing too loud inside the house. You better believe I was singing show tunes. I used to get in trouble for it. That's, that's how much I wanted to be on the stage. And so I studied, I pursued it. In my 20s, I spent many years just trying to build a career out of theater. And, I, and, it, and you know, the Lord blessed it. It happened. I started, I joined the Actors uh, uh, Union uh, for stage actors. And I was winning awards, Portland Area Theater Awards. And I was working for the biggest theaters in town. And I was getting offers from all kinds of other cities around the U.S. about shows I could be in. And I was like, on, I was like oh, yes, I've made it. I have a career. I can support myself with this. This is my lifelong dream. And the Lord started to stir stir something in my heart and saying, yeah, but is it enough? Yeah, but is it big enough? Is that, is that, it's a good dream, but is it good enough? Really? 
And as I'm starting to feel this, this, sir, this uh, thing stirring in my heart, uh, I, I, uh, a place that I've been connected with for a long time, a Bible camp, gives me a call and says, hey, we need someone to run our summer camp. Uh, are you interested in this position? And I just felt the Lord saying, hey, you know this, this life you've been building. You know this, you've been pouring everything, energy, money, time. You've been pouring it all into this career. You know this thing you've been pursuing? Put it down. Just put it down. And I was like, Lord, th- this is good. You've blessed this. You've, you've helped me do well. And he said, yeah, I have. Put it down. I have something more. I have something better. He said, he, he said to me, really, is this going to last? Is that, all this stuff you're pursuing and building, is that really going to last? Is that really what you want to spend your whole life focusing on? I want to read from you uh, the opening verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've been around the Bible, you know what's coming. Ecclesiastes can be kind of a downer book, but we're going to talk about how it might actually be uh, not so much a downer and more of a liberating book. This is Ecclesiastes. I'm going to read verses. uh, This is chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. It says this. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Everything utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain for all their labors under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forevermore. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and to the north, and round and round it goes, ever returning to its course. All streams flow into the sea, and yet the sea is never full. The sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can even say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which you can say, look, there is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. This is the word of the Lord. Are you encouraged this morning? right? We look at that and we're like, well, that's a downer. But is it possible that through this, God is actually trying to liberate us? Remember what I said, everything Jesus does is about freedom. You know, this was written by a guy named Solomon. If anyone ever pursued or achieved the American dream, and he wasn't American, but if anyone ever achieved the American dream, it was this guy. Okay, he had power, power. He was an emperor over tons and tons of people. He had money, He was the wealthiest, hear this, this is true, the wealthiest king in the ancient world. The wealthiest ever. He had wisdom and knowledge like you would not believe. People traveled from thousands of miles on foot just to sit with him and hear him talk about things. He was that wise. He had all kinds of romance and sex going on. He had a thousand wives. Everything our culture thinks is like cream of the crop. He had it all. You know what he said about it? meaningless. Totally meaningless. I mean, what, 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 what's the point of all of it? Do, what, what do we really gain for all of our labors under the sun? I mean, I worked hard for this, but what's, it's as if he's setting up everything we could possibly dream about in this world, all of our biggest, greatest dreams that we could have on our own, and he knocks them down. He says, not big enough. In the end, just meaningless, useless, worthless to be thrown out into the utter darkness. God is trying to tell us this morning that our dreams for our lives aren't bad. They're just not good enough because we're still trying to build something with our own hands. 
We're still trying to pursue something that will not last. And you know, we might, we might want to serve the Lord and invest the life he's given us for his kingdom. We might want to do that, but some of us are going, oh, but wait, as soon as I get married, then I'll do that. As soon as I get that next promotion, then I'll be set, and then I can really focus on the Lord. As soon as I graduate, you know, I'm still a student, as soon as I graduate or hit whatever age, 13 or whatever, okay, then I'll really be set, and then I can really just focus on serving the Lord. But that servant with the five bags of gold, when did he go out and invest it? At once. Because in Christ, we don't have to wait. We have the resources now. He is the resources, and we can go just invest our lives for his kingdom and watch what he does. Uh, read this from, from Matthew chapter 16, just a few chapters before our parable this morning. Uh, it says this, when Jesus said to, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple, my student, my apprentice, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Deny, my, deny themselves. There's nothing more countercultural you could possibly do in our cultural moment right now. The world we live in right now, the world you all live in in Clackamas, Oregon, this is the most countercultural thing you can do. Deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life or build their life or, or create something of their life or make something for themselves, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life or hands it over or invests it for me will find it. You will find the life that is really life. Read this next ver couple verses. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? I, when, last fall, when I was really wrestling with, am I going to make this huge life change and career change and move in a totally different direction and just put down all this stuff God is asking me to do, am I really going to do that and let my life be totally different? I, I came to the Lord and I, and I was like, Lord, but I'm doing so much good. I'm, this is all, look at, look at all the, the success I am having and I felt the Spirit of the Lord say to me, yes, but at what cost? At what cost? What good is it if you gain the whole world, all of it, and yet forfeit your soul? What can the person give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man, that's Jesus' name for himself, is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. He's saying, I want you to use the life I've given you. I want, I want you to use every little bit of it, and I want you to invest it in something that will last, something that will last. Every kingdom we could build on earth, every empire, every social media, whatever, every fad, every, every movement that we could possibly be a part of in this world will fade, will end, will turn to nothing. You know what will last forever? The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come in power and fullness and bring his kingdom upon the earth. You guys, God is building a kingdom. It won't ever fade. It won't ever be taken down. It will last for all time. He's asking if you want to be a part of that. See, Jesus is not so concerned that you live your little life really well. He is concerned that your life is caught up into his life, that it's caught up, completely consumed in his life. Sometimes I think that for us, God is a little part of our big story. We're like, I have this life I'm going to live, and then I'm going to do God on the side. What if instead we are a little part of God's big story? The book of 1 Peter says that we are living stones being built into God's temple. What if instead you just let yourself be caught up into that life? Sometimes I was thinking about my cell phone this week, which I spend way too much time on and live way too much of my life on. So much of my money, communication, relationships is all tied up in that little thing. And sometimes I think about my life with God is, is just another app I have open in the background. And I switch to it sometimes and focus on it. And then I switch to another app. 
What if life with God is not about switching to the God app? What if it's about just handing over the phone? What if it's about just saying, it's yours, I take my hands off, it's yours, do what you want with it. And when that happens, things that we could not imagine begin to occur in our lives. Read this in John chapter 12. Very truly, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, this is the next slide, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, if you hand it over, if you take your hands off of it, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life, here's, he says it again, will lose it. Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What, God, what Jesus is saying here is that when you just hand over your life to God, yes, God, I died to all my hopes and dreams that are just too small, and I just hand my life to you. He's not just going to let that little seed be one little stalk of wheat. He is going to make it fruitful. You could live your whole life and get returns on your investments one-to-one. Every hour I put in, I get X amount of dollars. Every dinner I put in with my spouse, I get X amount of love, right? You could live your life like that, where you just get one little return on each investment and you slowly accumulate, you could have a successful life. But I think what God wants for you, every single one of you, no matter how old you are or wherever you're at this morning, I think he wants to make your life not just successful, I think he wants to make it fruitful. I think he wants to make it abundant. I think he wants to see that you invest one little life and cannot even believe how much fruit comes from it. The book of Ephesians says that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could possibly ask or imagine. I don't know. I can ask a lot. I can imagine a lot. He's able to do immeasurably more than you could possibly ask or imagine. Do you want your life to be that kind of fruitful where you just lay down your one little tiny life that's maybe going to last a few decades? Where you just lay it down and you watch him build it and multiply it into something that will last forever. That's what I want. I don't want to be caught up into that life. Sometimes the writers in the New Testament will comment on things that Jesus has said and sort of like be a commentary for us and, and, and spin them out a little bit. This is 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul talks about this very idea. He says this, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and waters. I'd say that's us, the ones working, right? We're doing, we're doing something with our lives. We don't count. Our efforts don't really count. What's the main thing? It's God who is making it grow. Remember what I said? I'm not responsible for outcomes. You're not responsible for outcomes. That servant who hid his money, he wasn't responsible for outcomes. He tried to take matters into his own hands. What I am responsible for is to sow the seed that God has given me to sow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are God's co-workers, or we are co-workers in God's service. We are co-workers in God's service. We are working on a kingdom project with God. We are God's fields, God's building. Sometimes I think we imagine that we're the builder, we're the farmer. No, that's God. We are what he is working on, working through to create a harvest far beyond what we could possibly imagine. So I don't know what kind of life you have. Some of you I do. If you're in my life group, I know a little bit. Some of you uh, probably feel like you've got five bags of gold. God has just blessed your life richly. What are you doing with that? Some of you might feel like God has just not given you a whole lot to work with. Okay, what are you doing with that? Because remember, it is God who makes things grow. 
And if we just put our lives, if we just take our hands off our life and give it, slide it across the table to him, he will invest it and he will do things that we cannot imagine through our lives. I promise you three things if you, if, you, if you push your life across the table and just take your hands off it and let him do what he wants. There are three things that the Bible says for sure we will experience. One, it will be hard. Two, the immense joy that we experience will far outweigh all of the hardships. And three, I forgot what number three is, that's fine. That it will be hard. I'm just a person. It will be hard that the joy we experience, I remembered it, will, be, will far outweigh any hardship we experience. And three, it will surprise you. What do you have planned for your life? What do you want in your life? You want something that hasn't even come into your mind yet? Something that is just so far beyond that you haven't even considered it as a possibility? What if God wants to use you like that? And imagine this, what if God wants to use each one of us like that? How many people are in this room? I don't know, but if we all slide our life across the table and let God invest it where he will, what would this city, this town, this country, this world begin to look like if we all became little stones in God's temple that he's building? If we all became one little part of his big story? If we all became a seed that is willing to just let go and die and be born again, fruitful, multiply, through his spirit. I think some of us are still living a life where we think all God wants is for us to hunker down and not do anything bad and not do anything good either, but that's kind of it. What if he has more for you? Can you imagine anything more fulfilling than waking up tomorrow morning and being less concerned about your career and more concerned about how can I serve the Lord and just bring his presence? Can you imagine anything more thrilling than getting up tomorrow morning and being less concerned with this or that thing at school, whether it's schoolwork or, or peer groups or whatever, and being more concerned with how can I just be caught up into God's kingdom and everything he's doing today? What would it be like to wake up tomorrow morning and just let him take control of all the relationships and family drama and issues and just be caught up into what he wants to do today? He's inviting each one of us to do that, to take our hands off our life, push it across the table, and just watch him work. So this morning, I'm going to pray in a second, and then we'll uh, continue in worship. And while we continue in worship, just have some time with the Lord. Have some time with the Lord. You're still trying to build your own life? You're still trying to do your thing with your life? Are you still afraid? Afraid that if you just do one little thing wrong, it's not going to be okay? Are you still living out of fear? And are you ready to invest your life in the kingdom? Are you ready to let him do what he wants? Are you ready to hear a word from the Holy Spirit? And maybe you will while we pray and while we sing. Are you ready to hear a word from the Holy Spirit that just says, I want you to do this. I want you to do this one thing. I, I, I was singing over here in worship a few minutes ago before I came up here, and somebody, a congregant came up to me and just said, I know this is a bad time, but I have a word from the Lord for you. And I thought, this is what I'm talking about. They, and, and they shared, shared a word, and I'm still mulling it over, and we'll see what the Lord produces from it. But this is what I'm talking about. The Spirit of God says, hey, I have something for you to do, and we go do it, and we, there's no telling. There's no telling what he's going to do if we are faithful. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to be faithful? Just let him invest your life? Let me pray, and then we'll continue in worship. Jesus, I thank you so much that it's not up to us to make something of our lives, that we are not responsible for outcomes. 
God, just free us from that. Would you free us from that? Would you free us from the anxiety of our small dreams? They're not bad, but they're not good enough, Lord. Would you fill us by the power of your Holy Spirit with what you want to do through our lives? And Lord, as we take small steps, we know that we can't do huge things because we're just not powerful enough, but as we take small steps, would you take our small acts of faithfulness and multiply them and just blow us away? Jesus, right now I just want to confess that I have hunkered down, buried everything you've given me, and just tried real hard not to mess up. And I haven't done anything bad in those moments, but I haven't done anything good either. And right now I confess that I have had my hands all over my life trying to invest it how I would. And right now, Jesus, I just want to slide my life across the table to you, take my hands off of it and say, use it. Use it, Jesus, for your kingdom that will never fade, that will never fail, that will never be destroyed. Lord, I ask that you just penetrate our hearts with that truth. And you help us give our whole selves to you and stand back and just watch you work. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you for your word this morning. In your name, amen.